This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show. Today, I'm proud to have Ola Dantas on the show. I met Ola at a real estate conference in Denver, and he's a commercial real estate syndicator and podcast host. He'll talk about the importance of getting a great mentor and using partnerships to get into the commercial real estate world. He'll also talk about how to vet partners and how important it is to have a great mindset. Here's Ola. All right, well, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know how you got into real estate investing? Thank you so much for having me on your show, Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Obviously, we met at the Best Ever Conference a couple of weeks ago. My name is Ola Dantes. I'm an apartment syndicator. Essentially, we buy apartments with investors and we share together the profits. I've been doing this for quite some time now. I've done a few deals um, in Baltimore, Maryland, but for multifamily, we actually look across the nation. Specifically, we like the Texas market and some parts of, of Florida. Um, so right now, we're basically working on a deal out of Houston, Texas. Um, it's, I think it's uh, 120 or so units, and we're looking to close on that in the next month or so. Um, so really long story short, that's kind of what we do. Um, name of our company is called Dwelling. We're basically an, an equity group um, looking to, to buy apartment buildings. Awesome. So go ahead and talk about your company. Yeah, sure. So, you know, Dwelling, Dwelling.com, D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N.com um, is basically a multifamily syndication firm. We essentially partner with accredited investors and, you know, sophisticated investors to buy um, you know, bigger assets, typically a hundred plus size multifamily, you know, assets, um, what you would consider apartment buildings. Uh, we basically coalesce with investors and other, you know, partners on a deal. And we come together, we pull funds, we deploy that capital, we take down a, a big asset, um, control that asset, reposition it if there is a value add component to that asset, cure any deferred maintenance on the particular asset, um, stabilize that asset and exit that asset, typically within five to seven years. That's kind of our timeline. And obviously, um, during that period of holding, we obviously share you know, cash flow uh, monthly or, or quarterly with our investor base. And then when we exit the deal, we basically share in, in, the, in the profits. Awesome. And so is your dwelling group mostly on raising fund side or are you trying to source the deals themselves? So we, we typically focus on, you know, sourcing the deals and raising capital. And if we basically see that as a deal that is, that is amazing, even though it's not within our group because we work with, you know, certain different partners, we would jump on that, on that particular deal and then um, capital raise for, for, that, for that deal. Awesome. Can you talk about how are you going about finding your deals? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a secret sauce, but I'll share with you. Um, <laughs> so essentially, we basically um, reach out directly to owners. So we, 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 for the most part, cut through brokers. Um, so we reach out by, you know, mail. So we send mail out to, um, you know, basically investors, um, you know, owners, apartment owners, and to just kind of see like, you know, hey, um, if you have assets in your disposition phase, because essentially... Apartments are extremely different to, you know, a normal residential, you know, house or a single family home. Apartments, when you start getting to the five to seven year, you know, timeline, 
your IRR, which is the internal rate of return, starts to kind of taper off a little bit. So you can hold, I mean, you could obviously hold, you know, that asset forever and ever and pass it to, you know, generations come. But from a, you know, a financial perspective, you kind of want to get rid of your asset because um, your money is not working hard as it should for you. So that allows us to basically reach out to certain um, you know, group of apartment owners, typically those that are looking to sell within that five to seven years and, you know, tell them what we're doing, show them, you know, some of our track record and say, Hey, you know, if you're interested in selling your building, we can give you an offer, um, and kind of take it from there. So we, we do that. We reach out and then we also have some, you know, some proprietary technology basically where we kind of crawl the internet and basically just search for numbers of apartment owners. And then basically just cold call them and say, hey, you know, this is so-and-so from Dwelling. We're interested in buying, you know, your asset. Would you be interested in an offer from us? So we kind of go through the two-prong process. You do get, you know, folks that are not so, um, you know, excited that you call them. Uh, maybe for whatever reason, maybe they're having not a not-so-good day. Um, for us, yeah, at Dwelling, we just understand that, um, you know, rejection is not about us. Um, you know, so we just don't take it personal. We just say thank you um, for your time, and we kind of go to the next. Right? If we soak up on on the on the you know the last caller that said no to us or didn't want to speak to us, then we just won't get through. Um, you know, the numbers of, of prospects that we have, and I think that's really interesting because that's where your mindset really. And we could talk a lot more about mindset. That that's really where that really kicks in and that's where it separates us from a lot of um you know apartment syndication firms out there that's a that's a great yeah that's great mindset right there can we talk about your debt structure like what kind of debt are you using to acquire the properties and do you refinance at any point to something more long term yeah so typically it would be you know a, a, a bridge loan so some of this um for the most part the assets that we like are assets that has a value add component to it. So you typically you like to get a bridge loan um, to basically take the deal down. And obviously you, you want to, you know, reposition that asset. So you do some, you know, some exterior renovations to it. You turn around some of the interior um, parts and units of the apartment. And then typically, you know, we like to say between 12 to 24 months, we kind of refi out into a more conventional of, you know, they call it Freddie or, uh, or Fanny. Um, loan structure and that kind of helps to give some of the capital back to our investor base um, within that timeline. I mean, this is, you know, typical, but sometimes we can just go straight into a, a straight conventional um, Freddie or, or Fannie. So can you talk about your terms for your bridge loan? Like what, what is your LTV and percentage? And For the most part, it will be between, you know, 65 to 75. Um, sometimes we, we engage a, a mortgage broker and they would basically help um, to source the best um, debt for us. So it kind of, it kind of goes between 65 to 75 LTV. Okay. And then what kind of rates do you usually get for a bridge loan? Oh man. I mean, th this definitely varies as well. Obviously, as you know, interest rates are going up right now. So, uh, you know, a base, a base point could throw off a deal, um, right now. So we just really, it's, it's very deal specific as well. So okay. sometimes, you know, it, it changes. It's, it, it depends on the market rate, um, you know, for the, for that particular day and, and for that particular deal. So it does change, but I mean, typically between four to six, um, it, it could be higher depending on the deal. <clears throat> and then it's usually interest only. Usually, usually it will be interest only. Yes. And then what about origination fees? 
Um, sometimes we, we pay, you know, a point or two, um, you know, but that's not really, it's not really a big deal because, um, you know, the mortgage broker they they, they've gone to the marketplace. They've, they've made sure that that particular debt that we're getting matches the deal. So it's not really, um, a, a, you know, a showstopper for us. Sure. And then when you, uh, transition out of your bridge loan into a more permanent debt, can you talk about like that, those terms for, for that? Yeah. So typically, um, uh, you know, an agency debt would be sometimes up to 35 years, right? So you don't hear that in the residential world. So if you have uh, an amortization schedule for 35 years, um, typically your, you, you know, your monthly payment for your debt service does come down a little bit. So that's kind of typically what we do um, to kind of get, um, to kind of spread that a little bit out um, for, for our investors and obviously for us. So typically that would run for that. And obviously, um, you know, we, we, we hold on to that debt, you know, for five to seven years. We don't go for any adjustable rates. We try to keep it as fixed, um, you know, usually. And then obviously after the, the end of the loan, we want to make sure that we don't have a, a pre, you know, prepayment penalty, um, usually for the most part. Sometimes, you, you know, you can get caught on those, but we make sure that we don't have that in the back end as we exit that deal. Got it. Um, so usually you get most, some of your equity out. Uh, is it still also in the four to 6%? range um usually it will probably fall in that um obviously in the past um before the you know the feds i up the the interest rate it could be as low as you know in the threes but but now it's it's more in the four to six you know but it is what it is we just have to adjust our underwriting you know for that okay sounds good can you talk about your syndication structure with your investors like what are you promising them and why would they invest with you guys yeah, that's a fantastic question. So, well, why would they invest with us? I'll, I'll come back to that. But in terms of the, the split structure, so we typically would do a 70-30 split, which means the investors, the passive investors would get 70%, and we as the, the sponsors or, or general partners would get 30 right? Um, but what, what we also do is um, something called a preferred return of 8%. Um, so until we hit uh, performance or do um, we don't get paid meaning we as the sponsors the general partner don't get paid the, our investors get paid first and after that pref which is you know preferred return is I mean, we, we hit that performance order then we start to disburse cash flow to ourselves so for us that just you know allows us to not only show that um, we put our investors interest first but also shows that we are pretty um, you know we've got some level of certainty, right. Um, in terms of our returns and in terms of the deal that we're looking for. And of course the, the investors can see that as well. That's, that's why we go with the pref approach. And just to add to that, um, why, why, why would they invest with us? Well, we have a, a pretty broad, um, range of advantages. One of which is that we have access to off market deals. Um, so typically we take down deals that are not in the public market. And, and, and second of all, we basically work with, you know, pretty strong um, partners who have been doing this, um, you know, for decades. So uh, the track record is actually really strong. So that's another reason. And thirdly, we actually put our investors first. So we make sure that every touch point we have with our investors is very similar. So <clears throat> for example, we're building um, an investor portal where our investors can basically log in, they can get their K1s, which is, you know, what 
we send out at the end of the year for the taxes. They can look at look at deals. They can look at their disbursement schedule. And we also look in talking to one of the partners that would help in terms of integrating payment within our portal. So we also want to make sure that you know our investors every time we're yet to serve them. So every time they interface uh, with our brand, with the, dwelling, with the dwelling brand, they're having a really, really similar experience. And I bring that up because in the apartment syndication space, that's not really something a lot of folks talk about. Um, we're so focused on the deal and sometimes we leave the investors um, in the back burner. Right, right. I want to ask you a quick question. So the 8% preferred return, does that carry over year to year? For example, your first year, you can't quite hit 8%. Does that mean you owe them money from the last year, the next year? Well, for the most part, we want to make sure that we're definitely not owing, you know, any of our investors money. Um, but to kind of jump on, that's a really great scenario that, that, you, that you brought on. So yes, if for whatever reason, if we feel that we might not be able to hit the APREF in the first year, um, because of, you know, value add components, um, you know, because we're trying to cure deferred maintenance and we're doing some renovations in, on that asset, then what we tend to do is just make that prep for the, for the second year, right? Um, but for the most part, if we know that we can hit that goal, um, we'll do that anyway. But if for whatever reason, you know, we, we can't um, hit that, that prep in any year, of course, that, that gets credited um, to the investors in the, in the following um, pay cycle. Awesome. And do you guys do like a $50,000 minimum per share? Correct. Correct. Okay. Correct. okay. Uh, question about that. Since you know, like you don't always need exactly 50 grand, I'm assuming you will oversubscribe people. Like you have more money than you need to close the deal and do the repairs. What do you do with the extra money? And does that dilute like your investor pool because now you're raising more money than you actually need? So the good thing with us, we always have deals, right? And we, we tend, I mean, we tend not to, you know, get our, um, our, our investors to oversubscribe, right? And the one way to do that is first things first is a first come first serve, right? And we are constantly monitoring this in terms of, you know, reaching out to the, to the investor, to our investor base, making sure that we hit our deadline in terms of wiring funds over. So we, we make that, um, we're very intentional to make sure that we don't, get oversubscribed. Now, if we do, we will never dilute um, the shares of our, of our investor base. What we tend to do is <clears throat> poss we possibly offer the investor um, an opportunity in the next deal, which we always have deals. We, we're not short of deals yet. Um, or we just return the money, right? We, because we don't, we don't, if we don't need that extra equity, we don't need to have it um, definitely on our books anyway. Nice. That's like Really good, uh, really good plan. Have more deals, then that's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now I want to ask you a personal question. How did you get into the commercial realm? You know, like I, I've been trying. It's not easy. And that's why I started doing residential. But if I knew what I knew now, I would never have bothered you residential. I would just go straight into commercial. Partnerships, one word, partnerships. Okay. So for example, you can go out into the marketplace. You can, I always, I always say this, right? Um, you know, anybody can flip a home, right? Anybody yep. can flip a home, right? So, but when you're talking about commercial real estate, it's a team sport, right? You can't just go, unless you're the prince of Saudi, you can't just go buy, you know, a $50 million apartment building in Texas. Cash. Like cash, you know, like, you, <laughs> so, so for the most part, you know, you have to figure out, you know, those that you, that you can coalesce with and, you know, partner up. Right. So if you're out there, you're thinking, you know, I have a bit of money, but I don't really want to do the residential, um, you know, path because I might have to maybe I have a day job. Right. And 
I, I don't have the time, right? So it's okay to be a passive investor. Just look for, you know, a, a good syndicator that, you know, your, your personalities kind of jive together um, you know, see kind of what they've done in the past, reach out to them and see how you can partner on a deal, right? Because if you partner on a deal, you would get an insider look on the deal. If obviously if you request for it and you can kind of get a feel for what, commercial real estate is, is, is all about, right? If you're out there trying to take down a $10 million building or even a $2 million building by yourself, you may be able to by yourself, um, but you might make a lot of mistakes to by yourself. So it's always nice to, you know, partner up with somebody that is doing it, kind of learn from them, you know, and just by investing with them, right? Because time is money. So you don't just want to reach out and say, hey, teach me everything, you know, you know, for free. Right. So you, you want to figure out a way um, to, to get through um, to that person by adding some kind of value. You can add value by helping them, working for free, volunteering for them if you don't have, you know, 50000 or 100000 or $200,000 to invest. But if you have some money to invest with them, it's definitely a good idea to say, hey, um, you know, I want to invest with you, but I want to learn alongside you. Absolutely. Do you want to talk about your story, how you got involved? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, that's why I did the same thing, right? I partnered, right? Um, you know, I had a podcast and I, I had someone who, you know, was doing really well. Um, and he, you know, he basically gave out his phone number on that podcast and he was like, Hey, you know, I know nobody's going to call me. I know nobody's going to call me. So I'm going to give my number out, but obviously I'm nobody. So <laughs> I called him. Was this your podcast or is it a different podcast? It was a different podcast, right? It okay. was on a guest on that podcast. So I called him and say, Hey, I love what you're doing. I want to do the same thing. Can you take me under your wing? Um, you know, and he did, and he became my mentor or wow. paid mentorship though. Um, so, and I say that as well, because there's a lot of talk about paid mentorship and non-paid, um, you know, but the reality is I genuinely believe that there are trade secrets uh, and their secrets and their recipes to success in life, right? So if you really want to succeed and you want to succeed at a faster pace, it is okay to pay for stuff, right? After all, if we feel kind of tired in the morning, you don't go into Starbucks and say, hey, can you give me a free coffee? No, you, you have to pay for that value. You feel tired, you want to feel a little bit awake, you pay for that coffee. It's the same thing, you know? So if you don't want to feel awake, you can just carry on with the day and feel groggy and drink water, right? But if you, if you want to feel a little bit awake, you pay for that coffee. I know I, it's, uh, it's not the best analogy, I guess, but it's just- I paid for college tuition and I've paid for my failures. So <laughs> why wouldn't I pay for a mentor who could avoid making me pay for failures? That's smart. Exactly, exactly. So that exact, that's exactly what I, you know, what I did too. And how long ago you know, was this? Um, this was in, uh, I think almost three, four years now, actually. And I, I do have a backstory actually. Um, and I like to share this um, every time I get on podcast. And I think it's really crucial. Um, basically what happened was a friend of mine, I'm from the UK, I'm from London. Um, in case, you know, folks can tell a friend of mine called me from, from London and say, Hey, Ola, can you meet me in Dubai? Uh, I'm going to be in Dubai meeting with some investors. So can you, you know, jump on the plane? and meet me there. And, you know, just so you know, I was in the, U I was in the U S at the time. So I did what every smart man does. I, I asked my wife and she's like, okay, why didn't you guys just, I don't know, Skype <laughs> or do FaceTime? Like, why do you have to go all the way there? I was like, well, maybe I could learn something new. Uh, maybe I could really get value from this trip and I could learn something cool. And, you know, after a while I convinced her, she's like, okay, fine. So I, you know, jumped on the plane on my way to, to Dubai, got to Dubai. We were kind of, you know, just in an hotel room, just masterminding for about three, four days. It wasn't like I was, you know, 
balling in Dubai and having a great, you know, great time of my life. Lamborghinis. I know. I wish I was doing that. None of that. Um, so basically, you know, we masterminded and I kind of, you know, broke his business down essentially and, and kind of helped him out um, with his business. And I realized that, wow, he's doing really well in the UK. Perhaps I could, you know, come back to the United States and, and do the same thing. So that's what I did. I got back, you know, to the US and I was like, oh my goodness. I started, you know, I obviously, like you said as well, um, reached out, poured out, um, you know, bigger pockets. I was listening to all the podcasts. I bought so many books. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness, like this is amazing. And within um, three months, I bought my first building. <laughs> so, you know, I was pretty, I'm, I'm obsessive. Um, I think it was three to or six months. I can't remember what it was, but it was pretty, pretty quick. Um, so my wife and I, we bought our first building and then we were like, oh my goodness, like this is such, um, you know, just a, a building that if you walked in front of it, you wouldn't even know that it was castrating as much as it was at the time. And we're like, oh my God, we just need to do this, but on a bigger scale. But then I knew that we couldn't do it on our own, on our, you know, on our own. We needed to, to coalesce and partner with someone. And, and that's how I, I, I basically, you know, seeked out a partner and, and partner with him. Nice. Great story. Yeah, thank so you. Three years. You've been doing this for three years, right? Three, yeah, about three, four years, yes. Okay, cool. And I'm sure you've partnered with many different people over, over the years too. You, you have to partner. This is, this is a team sport. This is, it's like you can never play um, American football by yourself. You need a team. Um, you need your team members. It's the same thing with syndication. You always have to partner. Do you want to talk about how you vet partners? How you decide if they're cool you- <laughs> yeah i mean that's a fantastic question because um i've been in great partnerships and i've been in partnerships that went so great so i think you yeah. asked a very very good question actually um first and foremost they have to have the same or similar values as you right um values of how you live your life values of business um you know how you kind of see the world um maybe not the same, but as close as, as it can be. Right. Um, secondly, they have to, um, be kind of in the same or similar circle as you. So when you seek our references, you know, they can say, Hey, oh, Hey, yeah, I know Sean, for example, right? Like for you, Sean, I can reach out to Julie and say, Hey, Julie, you know, um, you know, Sean Pan, you know, what do you think of him? And he can say, Oh, Sean is great. So you need someone that basically it's in they're in your circle right there's a mutual friend somewhere so you can ask now i'm not saying you should not partner with somebody that you don't have a mutual friend with but it's better because then you have a good you know a good perspective of that of that person right um in terms of hey i know that person and i think they're great um for us as well we have a we have a group a, um, a close group that we basically you know we, we work with each other so I, you know, we're not more than 300 syndicators. So we know, for the most part, we know who everyone is. So, you know, after a while, you know that, okay, I can work with this person. I, I can't, you know, maybe not so much work with this, this other person. Because um, at the end of the day, real estate is a people's business. People think it's about the deals, it's about the, the asset, it's about the investors, about the, the capital. It's really about the people, right? So I usually tell folks, make sure you like the person you know, the deals, deals are like buses, right? There's always one coming after the other. So make sure that you like that person. Make sure you connect with that person. Cool. I like that. That's all the questions I had. Do you have anything else you'd like to say? Well, I, I wish we, I wish we, you know, kind of talked a little bit more about mindset, right? And I'll just jump on one thing Go ahead. quickly. Yeah. You know, the reason I brought the Dubai 
conversation up was folks need to think differently, right? If you want things to change in your life, you have to change yourself. If you want things to be extraordinary in your life, you have to be extraordinary, right? When I had the opportunity to go to Dubai, I could have easily said, I'll rather just stay at home, watch Netflix, you know, watch Narcos and just chill, right? For the whole weekend and just binge watch Narcos. It was so much easier. It's so nice. But I pushed myself, right? I paid for my own ticket, by the way, um, which obviously I made like 10 times more over um, that back. But you have to basically just reprocess your thinking, right? Constantly, right? You have to be, you have to basically be in discomfort, right? In order to discover yourself, right? You have to be in discomfort in order to discover yourself and to really discover the potential that you have, right? So for those that are listening and, you know, you've been listening to Sean's um, podcast here, you, you can hear my voice now. If you want things to change, you have to change you. Great. I love your quote. Mindset is important. If you want extraordinary results, you need to be extraordinary. Yep. 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 I love it. <laughs> yeah. Love it. All right, cool. Well, that's all the questions I had today. Thanks a lot for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate being here with you today. Cool. Thanks. Here are some of the key takeaways I got from speaking with Ola. It's okay to pay for mentorship. There are a lot of trade seekers in industry, so you need to give some value for them to share it with you and just consider it as tuition. So you'll either pay upfront and get guidance and goodwill with a mentor, or you can pay it when your project goes sideways and people start getting burned. Commercial real estate is a big game, so don't try to do it alone. Get partners. And find people who know people in your circle so that you can vet them properly. Deals are like buses. They come and go, but your partners will stay with you. So make sure you partner with the right people. And finally, I love the quote he said. He says, if you want things in your life to be extraordinary, you need to be extraordinary. I hope you all learned a lot. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.